Today, uh, I'm kicking off our fall vision series. Uh, about twice a year, we try and do that duo vision series, uh, just about the vision of Good Hope Church and of the church in general and the, the vision that God has for uh, his whole church, the church as a whole. And some people say, well, I don't know, isn't that kind of corporate I mean, we've got a vision statement, which is really cool, up on the wall. And, uh, but, you know, vision is extremely important. It's kind of important for us to be on the same page. And Pastor Mike has likened leading a church and a bunch of Christians, he's likened it to herding cats. And it can be that way sometimes. We all have different opinions and different ideas and want to go different directions. But just imagine if somehow, miraculously, this would never happen, all the cats had the same goal and vision, and were going in the same direction. Wow, that'd be pretty neat. Then it'd be easier that way. So it's, it's, it makes a lot more sense for everyone to be on the same page, and especially when we're serving God and doing something this important. Man, we got to be on the same page and know what's going on. So that's why we have vision uh, series and, and talk about things like that, because yeah, we need to be on the same page. What if you had a – how many football fans are here? Vikings can be able to win without Bradford? I don't know. We'll see. Well, what if an NFL team hired a whole bunch of uh, European football players, soccer players, to get on their team? I mean, they're really good athletes. They've trained hard. They've eaten well. They've done well. But they really don't know anything about American football. And they put them on the team. They didn't know that the goal is to keep the ball off the ground instead of kicking it and not to just kick it through a goal but to get it into this thing we call the end zone. Boy, that'd be chaos, wouldn't it? And I started thinking about this. I thought, well, that can happen, uh, you know, in any organization. You have people that don't really know the goal or what's going on. Well, then they influence each other as well, right? You could have, I suppose after playing with seasoned NFL players for a while, they'd start to pick up on, oh, we're supposed to pass the ball. We're supposed to handle it with our hands. We're supposed to get it to the end zone. But think about this. Couldn't they also be influenced, the NFL players, be influenced by the soccer players and go, well, I don't know. That kind of makes sense. Shouldn't we get points for kicking it if we make it through the, we'll do go underneath the uprights, and uh, shouldn't we get points for that too? So it can go either way. So if you don't have a clear vision, boy, everyone can influence everyone, and it can just get all chaos. So that's why we do this. It's really important for us to be on the same page, so that's what we want to do. So when you're going to have a vision statement and have a common goal, well, then the key is what's your base? What's your standard? Or in sports terms, what's your playbook? Well, we know what that is. It's the Bible. And anything that doesn't line up with the Bible doesn't really matter. And so I've said it before, and I'll say it again. As much as I would like it to, my opinion doesn't matter. And I'm sorry, but your opinion doesn't matter. As long as, uh, or if it doesn't line up with the Bible. That's our standard. That's what we go by. Everything is based on that. And if anything doesn't line up with that, Please let us know. We're human beings as well. But that's the standard. We've got to have that base to go by. So that's what everything that we are going for is based on. So we have this vision statement, and we also have hand motions that go with that vision statement. And Pastor Mike loves doing that, and his wife, Trinette, hates hand motions. We're not in kindergarten. But I'm going to make you do them today, and I'm going to do it for two reasons. Pastor Mike says that we do it, well, it's a memory thing. It helps you remember, remember what uh, the vision statement is about. And man, it's something that, you know, if, if we can't cooperate together and do something as silly and meaningless as this, well, how are we going to reach our city for God? How are we going to affect anybody's life? But if we can cooperate together on something this silly, 
maybe God can use us to do something more together too, right? So, hey, let's cooperate together. I'll show you what it is, in case you don't know, first of all. We go reach up, rise up, and reach out. Okay, you ready? Reach up, rise up, and reach out. So that's our vision statement. That's our goal. That's what we want to do as a church. What does that mean? Today, being the first one, I'm going to focus on the first part of that, reach up. And that means reaching up is having a one-on-one personal relationship with God Almighty, the creator of the universe. That's the most important thing. That's incredible. So I want, there's three, and I, and I hate having three points because if you know me, I'm not a traditional kind of guy. I don't want to do things this way because it's always been that way. But preachers in the past were always taught that your sermon has to have three main points. And I hate that, but boy, it works out that way a lot. And so it's like, well, Suppose I could make up a fourth one just so I don't conform or something like that. But, but we have three things that I want to really understand here today about reaching up, about having a relationship with God. First of all, having a one-on-one relationship with God Almighty is important. Number two, having a relationship with the Almighty God is possible. And number three, having a relationship with God one-on-one changes by a lock, long shot. So we're going to look at these three things. Before we get started, I'd like to pray and ask for some help with this endeavor here today. Thank you, God, once again for who you are. And I thank you so much that you give us your word and your Holy Spirit to guide us. You don't just leave us here wandering around, wondering if we're doing what's right, God, but you give us a roadmap and you give your, us your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to, to guide us and direct us. And Lord, we ask for that today as we look into what is the meaning of reaching up and what is the importance of having a relationship with you, God. And I pray that you would help us to to see these things and understand them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as we mentioned, people have very different ideas and opinions and uh, different levels of creativity and levels of energy and all kinds of different things, And so, uh, which is beautiful. God created us in a diverse way. But then how do you take all that and get all that going in the right direction? Uh, So that's what we're going to look at today. We're never going to agree on everything. I mean, we know there's different denominations, different church denominations all over there, different churches, even within church, within this group of people here, are we going to agree on everything having to do with God and religion? Never. That's just the way it is. But if we disagree on the most important thing, there's a problem, right? So what is important? Let's take a look at Mark chapter 12. We're going to read uh, verses 28 through 30. And this is uh, one of the teachers of the law. Who, so he was a religious leader of the day, teaching the religious law of the day. He knew the Torah well. He heard Jesus speaking and said, hey, I got to hear what this guy has to say. This might be for real. So he asked Jesus this question. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which one is most important? I like this. The guy says, what's the bottom line? I like this guy a lot. Uh, Here's all this stuff. He wants to know, what is it? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So there it is. 
Jesus said, this is the most important thing. So we should do it, right? You know, I got to be honest with you, though. This verse has been very depressing for me at times. Because you look at this and go, what is God asking of me? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, that's hard. We're, we're emotional people, and there's other things that tug at our hearts. Well, and, and besides that, also love him with all your soul, everything that's in you. All, not some, not part, all. And in addition to that, love him with all your mind. Well, man, my thoughts go a lot of different directions, and there's responsibilities and different things. What does that mean? Oh, and besides that, love him with all your strength. And you tend to just go, oh, I'm not capable of this. Somebody as well just give up now, right? It can be really discouraging. That sounds like a lot. You got a God up there saying, love me with everything you got. Wow, that can be discouraging. How is it even possible? And it doesn't get any easier, really, when you start looking at it. Let's look at 1 John 2. Uh, We're going to need 15 through 17. So there's more to it than just loving him with everything. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is telling me we need to make room to love God with everything we've got. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So we've got to make room. So not only now do I have to love him with everything, I've got to not love these other things. This is just sounding really hard, isn't it? Uh, But these are the things that we have to do. We have to set aside the desires of the world, maybe the pursuit of money, or whatever it may be that's holding you back, keeping you from your relationship with God. So here's what we need to do. We need to say, God... Show me the things that are robbing me from having a full relationship with you. We need his help to do that, don't we? God, show me the things that are robbing me from having a full relationship with you. Well, this sounded pretty tough, and I started thinking about it. Well, how in the world can we even be expected to accomplish this? Let's take a look at James chapter 4. And this sounds tough at first, so yeah, strap on your seatbelts as well. But then we start to see the tone that God is taking here. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? I'm going to read a different version of that when we get done here. But he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In the NIV, another version of it, verse 5 says, Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell within us? And that sparked something in me. I went, oh, That sets a different tone because you can really take this love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as God up there saying, you better love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength or else, right? But wait a minute. He jealously longs for the spirit that's in me. Oh, so that changed it. He's not, he's saying it because he really, 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 really wants to have this one-on-one relationship with you. 
He jealously longs for that. And he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Of course, anyone who's resisting and everything and and not being obedient, he has to oppose. But as soon as your heart turns toward him, he shows grace to the humble. Well, that shows a whole different thing here. Let's finish this out. Let's read uh, verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves then to God. Well, that's kind of a hard word sometimes, isn't it? Submit to God. Well, we don't want to submit. But when you start to see that he is the one turning and longing for this relationship with you to have good things for you, it's a lot easier to submit then and and understand uh, that we need to. And here's the thing. we got to realize something. Who is God? He is. Who is not God? Me. And we can get it backwards, and our pride can get in the way sometimes since where we don't want to submit to God. I knew a guy uh, years ago who was really struggling with some tough things in his life. And he said to me, he said, Larry, I told God, you better come through for me this time or else that's it. I'm never going to back to church or anything. I was like, stop, stop, stop. I think you have this backwards. I said, what do you mean? I said, you seem to have the idea that God is here to serve you rather than you here to serve God. A reverse relationship. You know, putting demands on God. No, he's God. I'm not. He made me. I didn't make him. And so we do need to submit to him uh, and realize uh, who's boss, essentially. So submit yourselves then to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what is the devil's goal for you? To steal from you, to kill you, to destroy you, to destroy everything in your life that's good. Does he make it look like that's what he wants to do? Of course not. He makes it seem fun and alluring and nice and, oh, it's not so bad if you don't do the things that you know you're supposed to do. But his only goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy. I don't like that guy. So resist him and he will flee from you. So that's the one thing we have to submit to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Here it is again. So it's not this love me or else. It's like, come near to me and I'll come near to you. So he plays a part in this as well. It's not all all on us completely. We just have to turn our hearts to him and he'll come near to us as well. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you're double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Wait a minute. This isn't sounding so fun. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Again, what he's talking about here is, man, if there are things in your life that are blocking you from God, better take it seriously because what's the one most important thing? A relationship with God. Jesus just told us that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So don't be taking it lightly and just laughing about it if you know there's things in your life that are keeping you from that. Stop. Take it seriously. And let's see, one more verse here. Humble yourselves before the Lord and who? He will lift you up. So again, here is him saying, yeah, we've got to take this seriously and do this, but come to me and I'll come to you. Turn to me and I'll turn to you. Humble yourselves and I will lift you up. Starting to sound a little more possible now, isn't it? To love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Because he has a part to play with it. He's not just this cruel God up there demanding it of you. He longs for it and he wants to help you in every way that he can to get there in that relationship. Remember the story of the prodigal son where he took all of his inheritance and took off and just squandered it and 
lived a rebellious lifestyle and until finally he was left with nothing and woke up and realized, wait a minute, I was way better at my father's house and he took good care of me and everything like that. That is such a beautiful picture of God. Because when the prodigal son decided to come home and thought, man, maybe he'll just make me one of his servants or something like that, what did the father do when he saw him walking down the road? He ran to him, put his arm around him and said, come on, come back home, son. What a picture of God's love for us. Turn to him, he'll turn to you. Come to me, humble yourselves, he'll lift you up. So this thing is possible. So, how easy is it to, if we're supposed to really love God like this, think about how, how easy is it to love somebody, I mean, really love them, that you know about, but you don't really know. Maybe there's a, a celebrity or someone that you think of is just awesome. Oh, that soap opera star is just, oh, he's everything. Do you really know that person? Of course not. You maybe know your imagination of what that person might be like, in fact, I like how Pastor Mike talks about when they got married, and Trinette admits it fully now and says, yeah, absolutely. She was marrying the guy she wanted Mike to be. But he wasn't that, because they didn't really know each other well enough to really know that, and we can do that in our lives. But it's, and it's really hard to love someone that you don't really know. So it's important to get to know God in order for this love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength thing to happen, right? Uh, I've used... The example of a telephone, and it doesn't apply today because we all have cell phones with caller ID, and you know who's calling you before you ever answer the phone. Uh, But I'll date myself and tell you that I grew up with a rotary phone on the wall. No caller ID there. You dial in. When the phone rang, you had no idea who was was calling you, right? And so you'd pick up the phone and say, hello, wonder who it was. So let's say that uh, I just met you last week in church, and said, hey, how are you doing? I'm Larry, and great. And then I called you up the next week and said, hey, how are you doing? What would you say? Hi. Who is this, right? You wouldn't recognize my voice because we just met. Now, if we became really good friends and started to talk on the phone every day for a month and got to know each other, and then I called you up, said, hey, how are you doing? What would you say? Larry, hey, how are you doing, buddy? Because you recognize my voice. It's no different with God. It takes time to get to know him and to recognize his voice and build that relationship. And as you get to know him and who he really is and his character and his purity and his love for you, his intense Holy Spirit, then you begin to fall in love with who he is because you get to know who he really is. Uh, You may have heard me use this example before too, but I'm going to do it again because to me it really drove home the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Let's imagine that we are back in the times before the internet, before social media, before Facebook, before all, back in horse and buggy days even. Back when Pastor Mike was like, he's not here, I can't even pick on him. Ah, shoot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you'll listen to it. So back in the day when everyone didn't know everything about everything, you know, you didn't have the information, and many people didn't get to travel much. Many people lived and died without ever seeing the ocean uh, or really knowing much about it. So let's imagine that I have never seen the ocean back in this day, but I've heard some stories about the ocean. I've heard that uh, some people say that the water is salty or something in the ocean, and they talk about how vast and how deep it is, hundreds of feet deep. 
and everything, and, and all these crazy creatures in the ocean. They call one an octopus with all these tentacles and suction cups, and it just sounds about as realistic as dragons, you know? And all these whales as big as a house, and tropical fish with all these colors on them, and I just can't even imagine such a thing. But one day I'm traveling, and I get to go on top of this mountaintop, and I'm about a mile from the ocean. And so I look out, and there it is. Now I can see the ocean. And I even have my telescope, and I'm scoping it out and looking at it and watching it. And man, now I've seen the ocean. So I come back here, and I submit to you, hey, I have seen the ocean with my own eyes. And I want to tell you something. These people talk about it being salty. What, is there someone in the sky with a big salt shaker or something? How would the water get salty? Looking at it, it looked clear, just like any other lake that I've seen, and I have no reason. I think that's just a myth. It's not salty. And, you know, looking at it, I have no reason to believe that it goes more than five or ten feet deep. There's just no reason to believe that. And these creatures? I mean, I saw some things jump and look like fish or something. I would imagine there's fish in it just like any other lake that I've seen. I think that's just someone's imagination. I think it's a myth. Would you believe me? Well, maybe back then. Now, of course, you wouldn't. But here's the difference. I saw the ocean with my own eyes and came to conclusions based on what I saw. But I didn't dive into the ocean. And I can tell you, I have been to the ocean several times. I love everything about the ocean. I love to surf. I love to snorkel. I love everything about it. And I've dove into those waves and tasted it. And yeah, that's salty water, all right. I've felt the density of that salt water pushing me around. I've, I've snorkeled with all kinds of crazy tropical fish and held sea cucumbers and all that stuff. And man, it's real. It's pretty crazy. And I can tell you it's a little deeper than five or 10 feet. And so now I know because I dove in and I experienced the ocean. That's the difference between knowing about something and knowing something, experiencing it. Have you experienced God? And if not, all you know about him is what you've seen or read or heard or imagined or thought that he maybe should be or could be. But have you experienced God? That's all the difference in the world. So relationship one-on-one with the Almighty God is definitely important because Jesus said this is the most important thing. It's definitely possible because he reaches down and wants it more than we do and will help us with it, right? So it's definitely possible to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that comes from getting to know him more and more and spending time with him and building that relationship. That's cool. The third thing is, does a relationship with the Almighty God change anything? And I'm here to tell you it changes everything. Let's look at a couple of examples here. We'll go to the Old Testament first and look at an example from 1 Samuel. Uh, This is... uh, King Saul envied David. This is, you remember David and Goliath? This is this David. Now, this is before he was a king, and the blessings of God were on David. And Saul saw that, and he envied him, and he started to grow bitter against him and just kind of grew this ugly hatred for him and even tried to kill him multiple times. Earlier in this passage, we're going to read earlier in that chapter, even uh, David was playing his harp, and Saul came and tried to pin him against the wall with a spear, tried to kill him. And David must have been pretty quick. He got away and escaped, uh, as he did several times from Saul. And we're going to pick this up here 
When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him what that Saul had done to him, all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. So we're going to presume here, from reading it, you, you understand that Samuel was the prophet. And if you read about Samuel, man, that guy knew how to pray and spend time with God and hear God's voice and move in the presence of God. And so evidently David comes to Samuel, what should I do? And Samuel says, we need to get together. We need to worship God, praise God, and and, and uh, the presence of God needs to be, we need to know he needs divine intervention in this situation is what he needs. He needs God to intervene. So word came to Saul that David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. So here's what happened. They come to get David to take him back so Saul can kill him, and they're going, where is he? And they come into this place, and these guys are worshiping God and prophesying, and the Spirit of God is so powerful, the presence of God is there that they go, oh, forget that. Let's just worship God with these people. Did the presence of God make a difference in that situation? Wow. Just like in your personal life, the presence of God makes a difference. It changes everything. Let's see what else happened here. Saul was told about, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. (laughs) Finally, he himself left for Ramah. He said, forget this. I'll go get him myself. And he went to the great cistern at Siku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even upon him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all day and night. That's why the people say, is Saul also among the prophets? So the presence of God changes everything. Three times he sent people there, and they got there and just went, whoa, no, forget this. This is wrong. We need to just spend time worshiping God here. Imagine if that happened here. I can't imagine anyone ever wanting to hurt Al, but let's imagine that somebody had ill intention and wanted to drag him out of here and beat him up. And they come walking into here, and they go, no way, the presence of God is so real. God, this is wrong. We need to just worship God with these people. Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be, and you know, that's our prayer for not just Good Hope Church, not just Good Hope Morgan Park, for the journey, for the vineyard, uh, for uh, Engaged Church in Duluth, for Herman County Community Church, for this whole area. That should be the prayer of us for God's church, for the whole body, that we would be so living in his presence that it's so real that people walk into our lives even and see us and, and it changes everything. A personal relationship with God, the presence of God in your life changes everything. It's amazing. So let's look at an example from the New Testament. Now, this is a different Saul, Saul who became Paul. And if you know his story, Saul was uh, a very devoted, sincere, um, dedicated warrior for God, he thought. He was a very religious guy, knew the Torah well, was bound and determined to get rid of all these crazy Christians who were saying that Jesus was God. And um, so he went around 
killing Christians. And he thought he was doing a good thing. But he had an encounter with God, which changed everything. So let's pick this up in uh, Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way or any followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He recognized this is God. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So this is an encounter with God, and I look at this and go, well, this is different. This was kind of not by his choice, was it? And why was it that God just, you're having an encounter with me right now, and sent this light down? Well, it's because I think God saw that Saul was a dedicated, committed, hard work, and go after a guy who thought he was serving God, but he was misdirected. And God was like, man, you want to serve me, but you're wrong, and I've got to show you that you're, you're wrong. And he redirected Saul, who then became Paul. And as always, I'm running out of time. So for the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you the rest of the story instead of reading some of it. In case you don't know, he went to uh, went into the city. God sent a, another man, a man of A.S., to go to him and talk to him. And he said, no, that's the guy who's killing Christians. I don't got to go talk to him. And God said, no, he's a changed man. Go talk to him. So he did. Saul said, hey, I need you. Jesus is, is God. And he turned his life over to God. He was baptized. Uh, immediately scales fell from his eyes because he was blind after this, if we didn't read that part. He was blinded instantly when this light hit him. And the scales fell from his eyes, the Bible says, and suddenly he could see again, and he knew the truth, right? So Saul was a dedicated, hardworking guy going in the wrong direction, and now he's going in the right direction because he knew that Jesus is God. He went about preaching like crazy. He went and tried to join the disciples, but they were scared of him because of his history. But finally, Barnabas convinced him that, no, this guy's really different. He's really saved. He has experienced God. Paul went from knowing about God, or he thought so, to knowing God. And what a difference. What if this wouldn't have happened with Paul? Did it make a difference in his life? Tens upon millions of people probably have come to know God because of it. As you know, he wrote a good share of the New Testament. He, went, he started the church. It's amazing. Yes, the presence of God does make a difference, doesn't it? And we're going to take a look at something later in Paul's life. We're going to read Acts chapter 16. We're going to read 24 through 29, a story that many of you probably know. Uh, Later on in Paul's life, Paul and Silas were preaching and came across this girl who actually was possessed by a demon. And because of that, the demon gave her the ability to tell the future. Some men were taking advantage of that and making money off from her. And uh, Paul came across her and prayed for her and delivered her from that demon. Hallelujah. But that left those guys with no income, so they weren't really happy. So they had Paul and Silas arrested and thrown into prison. So this is amazing. You'll see completely a whole transformation in Paul's life just from this one event. So the jailer, this is, upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet with stocks. He knew he didn't want these guys getting away, so he put them in the inner cell and put their feet in stocks. 
About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Is that what you would do in prison? You've just been beaten severely and thrown in prison. And there's, see, here's the, here's the thing. The presence of God, the first thing it changes is your attitude, doesn't it? Because when you really get to know God and experience him on a personal level and understand how great, how powerful, how perfect and wonderful he is, it doesn't matter your situation. You're like, he's got it in control. He's got a plan. You can be confident and you can still praise and worship him. The first thing the presence of God changes is you. So they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Did the presence of God change this situation? Oh my. It completely changed the situation. The presence of God, whether in a place, in a situation, or in your personal life, changes everything. And so my question for you is this. Do you have chains that need to be broken in your life? Do you have doors that need to be blasted down in your life? Do you have situations that just seem hopeless, like this in your life? The presence of God changes everything. And that's what you need, is the presence of God. So yes, a personal relationship with God is definitely important, is definitely possible, and it definitely changes everything, doesn't it? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come on down. They'll be up here for you to pray with afterwards. But I'd like for for you to ask yourself that question. Because it's the most important thing, the very first part, reach up. Have a, that, if we miss that, we missed everything. If you don't have that one-on-one relationship, if you haven't experienced God for yourself, you may have been going to church all of your life, you may even read the Bible and know all about God, but have you experienced God? His presence changes everything. Everything. I'll leave you with a quote from Pastor Mike. You can live a life distant from God, Or you can live a life connected with God. Connected is way better. Connected is way better. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you want to live a life connected with us personally. You want us to have your presence in our life, that presence that changes everything. Thank you so much for the people and the family, even families, even in this room that Lives have been changed and transformed and you've broken chains and blown down doors. Healed relationships, restored lives, God. Healed physical uh, infirmities that we've had, Lord God. I just thank you for your presence that changes everything. Today, help us to to never, ever forget how important that is. Help us to dig in and uh, reinforce our relationship with you, God. To get to know you. In whatever way that works for us, God, whatever we need to do, just to spend time in your presence and get to know you, read your word, Lord God, we want to turn to you. Our hearts are turned toward you. When we, you said when we turn towards you, you turn towards us. Lord, draw us to yourself, I pray, God. Help us to reach up 
so that we can have that clear vision of who you are, God, and really understand who you are. Thank you, Lord. Just pray that you'd go with everyone here today. In Jesus' name, amen.